I would like to recognise the traditional custodians of the land on which I am privileged to be recording this vodcast today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I would like to recognise their elders past, present and emerging. Hi everybody and welcome back to The Growth Distillery. I'm Dan Krigstein and today I'm joined with Elaine Dubost, Executive Director at The Lab Strategy. Um, the team over at The Lab are experts in decoding and exploring human behaviour and really shining a light on the hidden opportunities for brands to make brilliant leaps. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about the new mental models of health and well-being, um, our emotional connections and how our emotional connections with wellness has meaningfully changed over the last 12 months, and really the critical role for brands to support the very many journeys that we're on in our individual pursuits of being well. Welcome to the show, Elaine. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, so let's set the scene. Um, health and wellbeing means something very, very different this year, um, particularly uh, for Australians as we enter 2023. Um, how would you describe our current mental model of wellness and being well, so to speak? Yeah, it has it has changed a lot. I think, I mean, the health and wellbeing landscape's been evolving and expanding for many, many years. Um, you know, the wellness industry has exploded to be a multi million dollar industry um so as an industry it's already a space that's been evolving quite a lot um and then covid happened and covid really has been a catalyst for a number of accelerated shifts in how we comprehend and think about our health and well-being um we've all realized we're probably more fragile than we'd like to mm. believe um we hear a lot about this mental health reckoning that's been happening in australia and I think internally what happened there during the pandemic is that people started to reappraise what it looks like to be well and mm. what, what being healthy and well actually means. And there's been this newfound realisation that being truly well is actually a composite of so many different elements. Mm. Um, so this definition has widened and also been now this, this wider definition is more valued and recognised externally by society as well, realising that it is important for people to look after their physical health, but also their mental health, their social health, their spiritual health and mm. well-being. So there's been this reframing that's happened of health and well-being into a concept that's a lot broader and more encompassing than before, as well as a shift in cultural norms where society at large encourages us actually to nurture and look after our health and well-being, and that's something that is encouraged. Mm. Um, and I'd say that's really the new mental model of health and well-being, this much broader definition of it. Um, and it's fundamentally changed how we all manage and approach our, our own individual health and well-being. Yeah. So in this new expansive context of being well, um, how are Australians really feeling about their own well-being? Um, you and I have you know, have spent the last year and a half um, exploring the emotional connections that Australians have had with you know what I would call core industries, things like travel, things like food, things like health and well-being, um, and I know that you and I have seen nuance across categories, um, and there's I think some really interesting dynamics playing out within health and well-being. Yeah, absolutely. And and in this emotional connection series that we've worked on together, we really set out to explore the emotional shifts and dynamics in these different spheres, and and what we observed for health and well-being is quite unique. Mm. So. Um, 
just as a to give a little bit of context yeah, yeah. of the other spheres of our life, what we saw come through in travel was, and this was very, very shortly after the pandemic, was this um, emotional dissonance between how people felt at the time towards travel and how they wanted to feel towards the idea of traveling mm. again after being restricted for so long. Um, when it comes to food, we saw this national lean in towards food. So a real intensification of the emotions that people felt towards food. Um, food really sort of was amped up in the role that it played in our lives yeah. in terms of providing comfort and joy and pride. And there was nothing more essential than sourdough. Exactly. Um, I definitely jumped on that bandwagon at the time. So when it comes to health and well-being, it was intriguing because what we uncovered was that people actually felt relatively moderate emotions towards their current health and well-being in a context where health and well-being was so important and much broader than it used to be. Um, so the type of emotions that really they felt were satisfied, accepting, hopeful, um, whereas actually their aspirational emotions towards health and well-being, which were much more intense. So were things like pride, passion, joy, peace. Mm. And I should say that the way that we that we leaned into this um, in this series was leaning on a Kest, the Kester-Limner framework, which is a really comprehensive framework into the spectrum of human emotion, which allowed us to identify these shifts. And, and that framework, um, you're, you're well familiar with it, for, for those who might, may not have um, heard of it, um, it covers 60 distinct emotions. Um, half of them are positive, half of them are negative, and they're varying intensity. And so we could really see in health and well-being that there was a gap towards a much lower intensity of how people were feeling currently towards their health and well-being versus the high intensity of the emotions they aspire to when mm. it comes to, to their health and well-being. Before we dive into that in a little bit more depth, I think we might need to step back to step forward, as they say. Um, I'd love to get your help for those that may not be familiar with the role of emotions in the marketers toolkit um, to help understand why this is such an important dynamic right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, when we're thinking about emotions, we're in a context where there's already been a long-term cultural shift that encourages rather than suppresses emotionality. I think it's something that we observe in modern parenting, in schooling, in just individually our aspiration to get to know ourselves better and tap into our, our emotions and knowing how to navigate mm. them. And again, I think the pandemic had a more shorter term impact in um, changing our relationship with our own emotions. So we were all forced to sit with ourselves all at the same time when emotions were at an all time high. And forced presentism, exactly. one of my least favorite parts of the pandemic. <laughs> exactly. I think a lot of people would agree with that. And that was also a time where actually we were restricted in our access to the different things in our lives that helps us tap into different emotions, mm. which led us to really crave a wider emotional register. Um, but the pandemic also forced us to slow down and take stock and, and sort of understand our emotions a little bit better, understand how we can actively and consciously manage, tap into different emotions as well and through the choices that we make in our lives, everyday choices. So why is that something that's important for marketers and brands? Well, it stands to reason that if we're in, as individuals and as consumers more attuned to our own emotions – that there, there is this parallel response from brands who are trying to understand how to actually navigate that and, and connect with consumers at a deeper emotional level. Mm. And we know this is important and we know that actually emotions is a powerful pathway because emotions drive actions. Mm. Um, and have longer resonance in terms of memory. 
Absolutely, exactly. So we know that browns that connect emotionally um, perform roughly twice as well as the browns that are purely functional. Um, Which is where I guess the work that we've been doing in this research came from really. So to try and understand and delve into our emotions and how these play out in these different spheres of our lives and really to understand the tools that brands might have to connect at a deeper emotional level with their audiences. So Elaine, I'd love to just go back to something you said a little bit earlier. because I think that there's this interesting dynamic where we're more in tune with our emotions, broadly speaking, we're willing and wanting to be guided by them and embrace them. Um, and at the same time, we're also aware of the very many faces and aspects of well-being. Um, we live in a world where we have access to new pathways, where, you know, in a society that encourages us to tap into our emotional register. Why then, given all of this, what you know, emotional opportunity, are we still struggling to be well? You know, why are we still struggling to, to achieve the aspirational emotional state that, that we, consumers were telling us that they wanted? You know, I'm, I find it interesting that we, despite this, you know, breadth of opportunity to be well and to be emotionally well, um, so many Australians are still languishing when it comes to their journey towards wellness. Um, why do you think this is playing out? I think there's a few things at play here. Um, I think the first is that with this reframing of health and well-being and this new mental model that I mentioned earlier comes very aspirational goals. So um, the goalpost is very high. Um, And those emotions that Australians are are wanting to achieve with their health and well-being are very intense, but a lot of us are just stuck in terms of how to get there, how to actually progress to them. The focus is so much on this really aspirational destination of wanting to feel proud or, or joyful towards our health and well-being, but we just we just don't know how to get there. Mm. Um, and health and well-being, if we think about what it used to be before this reframing, it used to be about preventing or curing ailments. It used mm. to just be about treating or preventing disease. Now it's actually about being truly well across all of those different components, physical, social, emotional, spiritual. It's being about this optimal state. So it's a pretty high goal to reach. Um, And focusing so much on that destination and the goal actually can get in the way. And we know this from lots of research that's done in healthy habit formation Mm. that actually people who are successful are those who focus on the systems, on the steps to get there rather than just the destination. Yeah, there's a great analogy that we're so, you know, we're going for a drive and we're so focused on the destination that we're holding on so tight to the steering wheel that you forget that you're driving through the most stunning of countryside. Exactly. You kind of keep your eyes focused on the end goal and then sometimes forget actually the journey to get there or the steps to get there. And I think as the health and wellbeing landscape continues to progress from this age of achievement and perfection towards more an age of progression, people are just a little bit lost on the steps to take. Mm. And and that can really explain why they're languishing and why there's this gap between where they're at emotionally now and where they'd like to be. I think there's also something else at play, though, is that we're navigating this new mental model of health and well-being with more choices than ever before. And we still have the same amount of time and resources that we had before if not fewer, yeah. from any of us, right? So we know health and well-being is never finite. There's new pathways and strategies every day to help us get closer to that destination that we're looking for. But that actually presents us with so many decisions and choices to make every day that will contribute to helping us be truly well. So I think this is really the paradox of choice in action. Um 
think people are just struggling with what are the strategies I need to prioritize to be well. Now you've you've touched on what I think to be is one of the most important phenomenon playing out in marketing and product strategies at the moment um, that I'd love to double click on quickly. Um, you mentioned the paradox of choice. Um, for those that are listening or watching in um, that haven't heard of that terminology before, um, can you explain to us the psychology behind the paradox of choice and what that really is in terms of the marketing dynamic? Sure. Um, and it is a really interesting one to pick up because so the paradox of choice stipulates that while we might believe that having many options available to us um, might actually help us make a better choice that's better suited to us and help us feel more satisfaction and happiness from that choice, um, having an abundance of option of options actually requires more effort for us to make a decision that's right for us and more often than not actually leads to dissatisfaction and anxiety. So when it comes to health and well-being, the diversity of strategies that are available to us um, to stay well and, and be well and stay well actually creates a plethora of hypothetical trade-offs that everyone needs to make on a daily basis. So what is going to have more impact on my health and well-being? What are the choices today? Is it about getting up early and going for a workout or is it actually sleeping in that day because I'm sleep deprived? What are those things that are actually going to be helping me more and sort of that constant, these constant trade-offs that people are presented with, with, like I mentioned, still the same amount of time and mm. resources that we have. There's still only so many hours in a day, still so, so much disposable income people can spend on, on different products and services that contribute to their health and well-being. One of, the, one of my favorite TED Talks of all time is by a guy called Professor Barry Schwartz on the paradox of choice. Yeah. And he has this amazing shampoo example where, you know, to your point, um, the example of around hypothetical trade-offs is there's, you know, 150 types of shampoo and you pick one and, it, you know, it does everything that you want in terms of its product benefits, but you cannot help but hypothetically trade-off. Maybe one of those shampoos would have made my hair that little bit silkier or maybe one of those shampoos would have had a scent that was just that little bit more appealing. And even though you bought a product that did exactly what you wanted and delivered on its promise, you are less happy with your decisions no matter what you choose. Exactly. And I, I can absolutely see how that's playing out in this sphere, which is almost sort of limiting the level of emotion that people feel towards it because they're constantly thinking something else might have contributed better. Yeah. So I can only ever feel moderately satisfied with where I'm at because I'm constantly thinking that maybe another choice could have led me closer to my destination and closer to those more intense emotions I'm trying to achieve and, and had more of a positive impact on my health overall. Yeah. So given this paradox, right, we, we are crippled by the very many versions of what good looks like. Um, I personally think that brands then have a much more important role than ever to walk alongside consumers in their journey towards well. Um, am I misinterpreting things or would you agree that, you know, that if anything, this creates a, an amazing opportunity for brands to step in and walk alongside consumers and support navigating those decisions and, and you know, trying to mitigate that paradox in some small or meaningful way. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think brands can play a really meaningful role in this and, and really help consumers and all of us really dial up those latent emotions by sort of helping them along the way. And what I mentioned earlier is, you know, everyone's pretty new at this new mm. mental model and, and are looking for guidance and direction. And I think the brands that do that well and help and connect emotionally, we know, create deeper connections with their audiences and at the same time can have a positive impact on their lives and their health and mm. well-being. So it's really a win-win. I think a 
an important thing to know is that it's not one size fits all in this space. Um, it never is when it comes to health and well-being. Everyone has such an individual journey. Mm. Um, so even though we're probably all experiencing this shift in terms of this reframing of how we approach our health and well-being, we're all still likely to engage with different narratives, beliefs and ideas within this new context. Um and that's something that we identified in the research that we did. We identified different cohorts of people who stratify by their different level of engagement with health and well-being. Um, and but also sort of in terms of the different ambitions that they have for their own health and well-being. And we were able to establish that these different cohorts actually connect with different anchoring narratives, which resonates with them emotionally when it comes to how they think about their own health and well-being and also act as a compass to guide them along their choices and their strategies yeah. in this context of paradox of choice and, and infinite options and strategies for them to approach. So some of these narratives, for example, can be about shortcutting. So trying to actually find different hacks and getting more out of their efforts in the time they commit to their health. Another one might be about actually just leaning into their intuition and listening to different cues, mental cues and physical cues to sort of inform the choices that they're making along their journey. So I think brands have a meaningful role to play, but it's really important for them to actually understand and consider which of those anchoring narratives their specific audiences connect with most hmm. so that they can actually engage with them in a way that's meaningful. And we also looked even within that, um, there is a level of nuance within each of those narratives in terms of the types of messages and the tonality that different cohorts of people engage with. And I think in a space that's so complex, like health and well-being and the current context we're in, yeah. it is important to take the time to understand what those things are, to sort of not miss the mark in terms of how to connect with someone at a much deeper emotional level. Doesn't sound easy. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> it is a nuanced space. Emotional nuance. So just to play that back to you, at a high level, we may have shared ambition, right? So you and I, um, we're both looking for a, a particular product or service um, with a shared ambition, but the why that sits behind that ambition, the narrative that's anchoring us to pursue that product or service could be meaningfully different. Um, and then you're saying there's this, there's a third layer that sits even further below the waterline, which is... Even if you and I were sitting in the same anchoring narrative, what resonates with me based on the, the, the backdrop of my journey towards being well and your journey could also be fundamentally different. So we've got to understand not just why the consumer is looking for said product or service, but what's driving that, what's anchoring them to that pursuit, and then what is the best emotional or resonant message to tap into that narrative. I see. Um, not simple. Definitely not. And I think it, it, it's never going to be simple in such a complex space. It is going to be really difficult and connecting emotionally is not simple for brands mm. to do. We just know that the payoff is worth it. Yeah, so I think, look, the, the antidote to this, as always, is just stay close to your customers. Really understand the why behind their what. Absolutely. Okay, so as we get towards the, the back end of, of our, you know, as always, illuminating chat, um, I like to look through the looking glass a little bit um, at the year ahead. Um, Elaine, your three rules for brands looking to grow sustainably in this space for the coming year. 
So without contradicting myself with just yeah. what I just said, I do think that it's important for brands to really understand their audiences and stay close because of all that nuance and the differences in terms of how they could connect with um, with their audiences. However, there are also in this space some some dominant narratives that seem to just connect with a number of cohorts that seem to be where the current is going in the health mm. and well-being landscape. So I think to have a meaningful impact and if I if I had to set out a few rules for brands, these are a, a good starting point yep. at least. Um so the first narrative is about focusing on long-term health and longevity. I think there's been a real shift um, in terms of what people are looking for to understand how they can be well today, but also in the future. So for brands that are guiding or offering up solutions that, that actually answer that need. So not just being well right now, but being well ongoing and into mm. the future. And I think that's a win-win for brands as well because it actually helps them remain salient with their audience and really being exactly as you said, that that companion that lives alongside people on their journey to being healthy and to being more healthy. I think the second is about being adaptable. So showing consumers that you as a brand understand that health and well-being is not linear. There's ebbs and flows and actually, again, offering products and services that can be malleable and change and offer and, and adapt to the different needs of our consumers as they evolve. And then the third narrative is really about embracing kindness and letting go of perfection. We mentioned earlier is this, this move from focusing just on the destination and actually focusing on, on progress and the steps to get there. So letting go of that when it comes to health and fitness, for example, and really championing the systems that are going to help people get to where they want to be. I love that. And I think particularly with the first, you know, this is something that we've observed in a raft of, of um, different programs of work we've done, this shift from um remedial you know uh medicine towards functional you know thing you know a shift from fixing what's wrong to finally tuning the machine for longevity um and i think that that's something that we're going to see continue to shift over over the coming years um okay and then i like to also give you an opportunity um for those that may misinterpret what you've just said uh, a word on what this doesn't look like um, yeah, I think it, it is worth mentioning that. I mean, you mentioned it up front about how, why are so many Australians still languishing or not, not, not well and mm. not getting there. Um, I think realistically we are need to look at the facts. We are facing a health crisis, both in Australia and globally. Um, so we, we as a population still have a long way to go to be well. Um, and I think we all and brands included, have a responsibility to help and guide people on that journey um, and to genuinely offer products and services that are going to have a positive impact towards getting them healthier and well for longer. Mm. Um, and that will have an impact on all of us as a society. So really looking at how they can do that, how they can be well mentally, physically, spiritually. So what this isn't is wellness washing. It's mm. not about brands just... Um, exploiting this increased focus and engagement emotionally um, with our own health and well-being just to benefit commercially. Mm. It's actually brands living alongside their their audiences, their consumers, and riding that wave to better um, and becoming those lifelong companions, as we've mentioned, so that they can help their consumers on a path to better health by connecting with them at a deeper emotional level. Yep. Um, and look, just to close, I, I might preface, um, you and I have discussed a lot of 
uh, I think, nuanced concepts today from, you know, what I think is a, a profound body of work that canvases the health and well-being landscape so for those uh that are listening in or those that are watching uh please if you if you would like to know more um visit thegrowthdistillery.com.au uh we have a lot of this insight up um and always feel free to reach out to the team at the lab or um to the growth distillery if you want to understand a little bit more about anchoring narratives uh different personas and, and what's really playing out underneath the hood of uh the health and well-being landscape uh elaine as always an absolute delight thank you for taking the time to come and have a chat no worries. Thanks so much.